welcome to this bumper episode recorded in December 2020. This is LDCU podcast episode six, talking online learning. And it was recorded at the end of a challenging year and a very busy term, just before we broke up for the Christmas holidays. I managed to catch up with Bo Kellistin, Director of Student Experience in Chemistry and Associate Professor and Director of Education, Russ Kitson, also from Chemistry. They talk about some of the teaching and learning activity and how they have worked hard to engage learners and build a community despite the current situation. Next, I spoke to Nicola Kamel, the Director of Postgraduate Taught Studies in Chemistry, who told me about an interesting and innovative use of Teams to deliver a virtual postgraduate poster symposium earlier this year. And he also offered some reflections on the move to online learning. Finally, I caught up with one of the busiest people I know, senior academic technologist Kerry Pinney, and I was able to chat to Kerry to take stock of the year, a year like no other. Kerry shares some of the highlights and major projects she has been involved in, as well as revealing, not too surprisingly, how busy her team has been via the help desk, training and various workshops this year, supporting the necessary and rapid move to blended and online learning. I'm here with Bo Kalestin and Russ Kitson, who both work in the chemistry department. But rather than me introduce you, perhaps you could introduce yourselves. Bo. Thank you so much, Jim, for inviting uh, us. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Bo, and I work as the director of student experience in the chemistry department. But I also lead on um, a couple of interdisciplinary modules at IATL as well. Hi, Jim. Good to be here. Um, I'm Russ. I'm a chemist for my sins. I'm an associate professor and director of education in the chemistry department and an organic chemist, I suppose, more specifically. That's good to know. Thank you for giving up your time. Well, it's certainly been a a challenging year. Um, We might look at some of the specifics and talk about um, some of the more detailed experiences. But just thinking generally, what's been your experience of of switching to this online learning and the increased use of of technology? Can you say anything about that, Bo? Yes. Uh, oh gosh, it's been. I think it's been a roller coaster, just like it has been for everyone. I have been playing with Teams for a number of years, thanks to Robert O'Toole, whom I work with and have been working with for a number of years. He's 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 been a pioneer in this area. So I've been working with Teams for for a few years before we had to work with Teams. Um, but you know, I found that sometimes when you do know something about a piece of technology, the pressure is even higher and lots of colleagues turn to you for that support. Um, So sometimes it's been a blessing and a curse. Um, I found it um, mostly very exciting because I think it allowed me to build on things that I was just experimenting with and scale it up into the chemistry department and in IATO. But um, equally, there were times where I just found myself completely out of depth with tools and, you know, particularly even tools like VBox and Padlet that I found quite you know I was quite comfortable with that suddenly there were like certain features that I've not known about or not explored before and you know I have to take my hat off to you for just showing me so many magical things that are possible with Moodle that I just you know once the piece of technology works it, it really is like magic that allowed me to do certain additional things so it's been a combination of excitement uh, a very steep learning curve but also um, a really great opportunity to learn from from other colleagues and share what I'm doing with other colleagues. So, uh, Russ, what about your own uh, personal experience and also the work of your team? So I've had to coordinate our change to the blended approach. I'll I'll admit before this, before March, I thought I was relatively savvy with technology. I was mistaken. 
very much mistaken. Um, I've dabbled with some things, but I suppose my own teaching delivery and that of the department has been relatively traditional previously with bits of technology use here and there in the forms of polls and clickers and things like that. But this has been really in at the deep end and uh, it's been a big change in a really steep learning curve for me, but also a lot of colleagues in the department. I'd say the majority even of people in the department. Um, it's been a, it's been a challenge. I've been really impressed with the way people have risen to this challenge, though. Um, we've learned a lot, but I think we've produced some really good stuff and the students seem pretty happy with it. I mean, there's a split, as you'd expect, but generally, I think some really positive comments. We've got lessons to learn. I'm sure we'll delve into that in a bit, but uh, generally pretty positive. I, I quite like the approach and it sort of made us think about different ways of teaching, particularly more active learning. And I think that's one of the big pluses that's going to come out of this as well as online assessments being perhaps lending themselves more to authentic assessment, which is something else I've been hoping to to have a drive for uh, over the past few years. Yeah, that's 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 great. And I think um, whatever happens um, in terms of the current situation, it seems to be the case that it's unlikely that we'll go back to exactly uh, how we were. And it, it it seems from uh, some observation, but I can't say uh, exactly that, that students, certainly in some instances, are appreciating this blended approach. Um, and I might just uh, come, come back to some of the specifics as far as tools and techniques. But if I could jump uh, maybe to think about the student experience, Bo, that's something that uh, you're um, heavily involved in. Yeah. And, I, and I know you were um, you've been involved, in including uh, your work on the virtual welcome week. So could you yeah. say something about the student experience, perhaps how they're coping and some of the things you've done to support support them at a distance? Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, I would start by just kind of building on what Russ said in terms of, you know, he's done such an amazing job as a leader in terms of setting that vision for, okay, we're making changes, not just as a crisis response, but actually we're doing stuff for the long haul. And I think that's given uh, me personally, you know, the, the teaching team in the department, that kind of reassurance, okay, let's let's think about it as a vision. And um, so, you know, Russ mentioned assessment, but a couple of other things that we are changing long term and not just in response to COVID are things like the way we run our module fairs, for example, that we were going to stick with online because the format has worked so well for us, or the virtual common room that has also been how we've kept the community going, how we looked after each other's well-being will also be something I think we'll be sticking with for the long run. So I think that's kind of the first thing I wanted to mention. We've we've started as a department with this vision that, OK, let's look at this as a long term plan rather than crisis response. Um, more specifically, you know, like I mentioned, the virtual common room has been something that um, I partnered with with CAMSOC, who we are in chemistry are very lucky to have. It's a beautiful, amazing, brilliant community of students who are just so engaged. We couldn't have been luckier um, with them. And we kind of got together as soon as the pandemic started and we just said, uh, let's do something together. It makes sense to collaborate on this and create one space for students. And so we set up the virtual common room um, uh, pretty much in the first week of Easter break. Um, and that's been kind of our space for collaboration, fun, silliness, revision, every week so in terms of kind of the specifics the way we manage community now 
or kind of our current recipe formula is that we uh, open the week with some sort of a happy Monday message, motivational message with a meme for students. We have something called Wellbeing Wednesday, where we just post about a topic that's current for the students, whatever is on people's mind, whether it's time management or structure or just like having you know, like week six blues or whatever. Um, and then on a Friday, we have a virtual coffee drop in when we just again come together with stuff and students talk about embarrassing moments in life, you know, who's did what in, in a meeting or like, what was our student experience, you know, and kind of, it's been a slow burn. I certainly seen much less engagement that we normally be expecting throughout term. But what I find, uh, my colleague, Adam, who's the um, student, um, uh, engagement and experience coordinator you know we've been kind of grappling with this issues throughout term one in particular but the kind of thing that we've settled on is that um, with student experience there isn't really a formula now that all playbooks that we have are gone completely out of the window and so many things didn't work we were really optimistic we'd promote the hell out of something and then like one student turns up but you know we found that the that this thing of like talking to yourself throughout the term is really common and consistency does pay off to any colleagues that are listening and thinking, oh, my God, I've tried everything. Nothing works. You know, for nine weeks, we see that it's just ourselves talking to each other and a couple of students. And then by week 10, we have a really positive event and people turn up or people send us a quiet message saying, look, I didn't turn up, but I really appreciated it. And I knew you were always there for me. Very briefly for Welcome Week, my main strategy and vision for it was really looking for the behaviors and habits that we wanted students to um, have for the start of term. Um, so for us, you know, chemistry is a very visual discipline. We'll be using whiteboard quite a lot. We'll be using a lot of annotations and kind of visual teaching. So um, I was looking at kind of welcome week events so like, OK, we need to get people to use whiteboard in week one. How can we embed a very light touch activity in welcome week to get them to just try it out and see what whiteboard looks like? Um, or, for example, you know, we knew that community and meeting staff would be a problem. Um, that I ended up calling meet our faculty with a pun on tea and find your bestie. Kind of the idea there was a virtual tea event where people would come in to, in their small groups and meet a member of staff or meet uh, a member of ChemSoc um, in a very kind of light touch way. And another activity that worked really well was uh, a virtual scavenger hunt. I think it turned out that I think uh, Volk had a similar activity, uh, which was really interesting. But what we did is we hid um, six emojis that together, um, uh, you know, students guessed was was carbon and an, an element. Um, but we hid these six emojis across the main spaces we wanted students to use. So things like email, tabular, Moodle, um, Teams. And so every single activity for Welcome Week was centered around community, getting to know the department, but also in a very light touch way, familiarize students with the tools that we wanted them to use for teaching and learning purposes um, as soon as the term hit. Thanks for that, Bo, and, I, and I'm sure the students appreciate all of your efforts. And as you say, that consistency and persistence is important. And just knowing that uh, somebody's thinking about them and uh, thinking about their well-being is really important as well. Yeah, Russ, what about yourself in terms of the student experience? Do you have anything to say in terms of how they've been participating with their teaching and learning? Have there been any surprises or even have you got any early feedback on what, what students like and what they don't like maybe oh yes yeah and as usual students surprise us and however we plan for things we can never anticipate everything when it goes live to students and we've we've had some pretty big lessons from term one with the way they engage with the material so th there has been a lot of positivity around 
the quality of the online material and quite a lot of people like it not unanimous by any means so some people really do prefer the the previous approach with lectures but the way they engage with it through technology so teams i think they're generally getting pretty comfortable with but that was a pretty steep learning curve for them at the start i think we've got over that hurdle now but uh, we were hoping they were going to take on sort of a technological approach with participation in small group teaching so typical tutorials for us are students go up in turn to the whiteboard and we answer problems and we we have questions and we were trying to mimic that with teams using the the whiteboard there and when it works it's been pretty good um there have been some technical issues with that at times but uh, we were expecting students to take advantage of um the funds centrally and departmentally to look at things like a drawing tablet um where they could write on um either a things like an ipad or a surface or a, a cheaper drawing tablet which we promoted um the uptake wasn't great with that there have been some and when they use it they seem to like it um so a lot of them have been participating in other ways and we found ways to work it it's we, we've got there i think it's been a success the other thing we really didn't appreciate was just how much time it was going to take students to get through the online content um and that we were out by probably a factor of three maybe even more um so a 15 minute video is taking them significantly longer there are quite a few factors in that one is their motivation generally and how being sat in front of a screen has affected them and the distractions around so i know for me it's the fridge um but there can be other distractions like emails or teams notifications popping up and whatever else or they might just need to pause it replay things they've got activities in there that can take them a while and they may well have decided to do their notes from scratch and write them all out rather than annotating handouts and things digitally which we didn't anticipate so we've had to try and adjust our approaches for that as well um so lessons from it but i think we've got a lot we can do for term two to to make things better yeah it's interesting what you're saying that seems to be a common story across the university that concern that um, diligent uh, students, uh, students who are doing their best to keep up, are spending longer uh, working through this material uh, that's asynchronous um, and allows you to pause and uh, perhaps allows you to access more uh, than you might have done. I suppose there is one theory that suggests that maybe they're doing that deeper learning now rather than the cramming later, but getting that balance right and making sure that students don't end up um, too anxious and overwhelmed is, is, is key to how we present the material thank you thank you for that there's so much we could uh, talk about Bo I'm just wondering if you had any other comments related to that but also I'd be keen to hear about any technology tips advice or even something you might have learned that you'd wish you'd known earlier <laughs> any other comments on that yeah I mean just building on 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 what Ras said I think it was really apparent the difference in perception between staff and students and this doesn't uh, go just for for example uh, what Ras mentioned about how people were learning this term but also how we were communicating how the messages were received uh, in particular certain messages that were coming from the centre students were still waiting for us to say something from departmental point of view whereas we thought okay the center is communicated we don't really need to do that and so uh, the, one of the biggest lessons for student experience is that we needed to talk about opportunities talk about support more often through more platforms 
paradoxically, even though students wanted less communication, we needed to promote things more. And also whenever there was a statement or communication from the centre, we learned really quickly that we also needed to say something departmentally because students at the end of the day identify with the department. And, and so I think for me, that was the biggest learning that it still surprises me every time and catches me out every time how that kind of expectation reality meme situation where we think we've said something or we've said something in a certain way and students need and needed a lot of additional reassurance. Uh, but I guess on a kind of teaching side of things or uh, particular tips, uh, you know, I've said to people consistently not to kind of discount opportunities too soon and just give them a go and appreciate that we all start from ground zero at some point. For me, like this term has definitely been a Moodle. I know a lot of people are really advanced in Moodle but needed a little bit more help with Teams. I was the other way around. Um, so I've been able to learn about more about Moodle. And I would also say that a lot of the way we use technology is not the technology itself, but it's about how we think about it and what we want to do with it. Um, so I've been able to use Teams very effectively for building community, both in the department, through the virtual common room, but also through the modules that I run through IATL and a chemistry. Um, and so one of the biggest learnings that I could share with colleagues is the first thing is that if students have used the teams in a social context, they're more likely and more comfortable to use it for teaching and learning. I've seen a very clear, clear correlation with students that were very active on our virtual common room to how they responded to sharing and reflecting on teams and another thing is that I find students really struggle with the sheer volume and information but then again haven't we all um, and so I think when it comes to teams and when it comes to generating collaboration between uh, students in teams as much as you can reduce the number of groups so don't get 40 50 100 students to post in a general channel, split them into small groups and give them an opportunity to be in charge of a particular channel that they have. I've done that for groups of five and six and, I, and I've and i seen that students found notifications a lot more manageable and they were actually responding and engaging with the others were commenting and posting because if you have too much content, and again, we all know this, you just tend to either switch off your notifications and not see anything or just completely disengaged and nothing is important. So the biggest advice I could give to people is try small, try social, then move to teaching and learning and then put people in small groups so that that sheer volume of information is just manageable for students and for you as well. OK, thanks for that then, Bo. Uh, Russ, have you got any technology tips, advice or anything you've learned that you might want to share? Yeah, I think the, the biggest one is just how important editing is and it can make even my spiels of that are filled with ums and ahs and all that sound relatively professional. So I think editing can't be important enough. Do edit your work. Um, captions, that take a long time to edit. Um, but given how I thought I had a relatively neutral Midland accent, again, I was mistaken. Um, so the captions are all over the place with the, the auto-generated ones. So they've taken quite a lot to edit. Disciplines like chemistry that are full of jargon, that's particularly important. Um, and then on the other side, on the learning side, recreating student peer-to-peer -peer interactions has been a real challenge, particularly in our workshop sessions. Um, I'm not saying we've solved this. We've found a way to use Teams. It's sort of mimicking the breakout room facility, but with ad hoc breakouts where students, when we've, I'm sure most people have seen, they're pretty reluctant or can be reluctant to put their cameras on. So setting expectations in advance there seems really important in smaller groups, but they're still reluctant to put their hand up virtually and ask questions in front of other students. And that's similar to a, a sort of a bigger lecture, if you like, I suppose. 
But if you do call them one to one, you often get a lot more participation that way. The cameras are on. They're more willing to ask questions. And so that can mimic those smaller interactions you have in, in workshops. What you can't really mimic there is the peer to peer discussions. So we found that when they know each other, so this has been a real problem with first years, but second years and on, when they do actually have some relationships formed with their peers, they're more willing to form their own breakout rooms and invite you into it to discuss the work and ask questions. That's been pretty good. And I think the technology has been very helpful with, with that. Yeah, thanks for that. And the good news is that um, we are hoping that the breakout function in Teams will be even better uh, and uh, more widely available in the in the new year. Um, so we can look forward to to that. Although I know that you've been doing good work uh, yourself and others uh, using the manual approach by using different channels. And I think that's a good point about this idea of um, encouraging those uh, group discussions. Bo mentioned it and you mentioned it. There must be something in it. And I think we can all agree that if you're in a smaller group, you're more likely to want to contribute and feel like you're able to. So uh, that's good if technology can support that. Uh, thank you ever so much. Great to speak to you both and, and catch up after an interesting and challenging year and term. Uh, thanks for talking to uh, me today. Thanks, Bo. Thanks so much, Jim. And best of luck to everyone with uh, with all the challenges and also the opportunities that are coming our way. Thank you. And uh, Russ, uh, thanks also for your time. Not at all. Good to speak to you. And, yeah, good luck, everyone, with the rest of the year. I'm here with Nicola Kamel, uh, but rather than me introduce you, perhaps you could introduce yourself. Hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nicola, as Jim said. I'm from the chemistry department. I'm a director of postgraduate taught studies. I'm responsible for the MSc students in the department. So we have a, um, a cohort of about 40 um, to 50 MSc students uh, every year who do quite intense one year uh, training in different um, specialized fields of chemistry. Uh, and because of the intensive nature of the course, we always used a lot of uh, help from the academic technology, uh, but especially it sort of came through this year with, with the blended learning approach. Well, last year and this year, because obviously we continued teaching throughout the lockdown. Yes, and, and um, we might look at one or two uh, specific ways that you've used technology, but um, it's been a big challenge for everybody this sudden increase in online and blended learning how, how has that been for you and your students how have you found that i think i've found two different experiences actually with blended learning one last year when we had a very well established cohort of students who knew each other who worked well with each other um and we jumped online pretty much on the second day after the lockdown because the students were starting a new module just as we went into university lockdown. Uh, so we moved that online within two days with Jim's help. Um, and uh, we started group work on Teams and we found it was actually brilliant. The students were working really well. It was all new. We were all discovering how to do this. And it was 
very, very, very good uh, uh, module, actually. I'm, I'm thinking that going into the future, we're going to use academic technology and teams for the group projects a lot more because it was actually a very good experience compared to how it usually runs uh, when it was mainly face to face. The second experience is this year when we started from September and we have a cohort of students who don't know each other. They all come from different countries. Uh, they're not very confident about speaking English they're not very confident about speaking up and creating that cohort um, and helping them to work with each other and help each other has been a massive challenge with the blended learning. So completely two different experiences. Last year, we didn't think about the cohort and helping them to learn. They were doing that themselves because they knew each other. This year, it's a lot harder to create this when they don't see each other face to face. We don't have the social events. We don't have the food and drink that we usually give in to students in chemistry to help them. Uh, so it is a big challenge. Yeah, that's really interesting to see. And I, and I think the theory and practice, and perhaps it's um, obvious anyway, but that socialization is really important. And uh, the technology can be as good as you like, but we are still human beings. And yeah, socializing and getting a group to um, know each other. And as you say, be confident enough then to speak up. So that's really interesting to reflect on and to bear in mind when we're um, designing our, our programs and activities. So it's always interesting to hear about uh, some of the specific activity and some of the tools that have been used and, and how you've used them. Uh, I know that you were involved in delivering a poster symposium with um, some of your students. Do you want to run through how that was set up and, and what tools you used and indeed any reflections on how well that went? So, yes, the poster symposium is actually one of the things that I think I'm, I'm really happy with how it went, taking that again, it happened relatively early on uh, when we went into the first lockdown and it was all brand new. We haven't really seen anything like that done before. Some people done poster Twitter competitions and various other online things, but they usually don't have such a great engagement from students. So the way we set it up, I tried to keep it as close as possible to the original format. When you go into the room, you have lots of posters. People sit next to the posters, or stand next to the posters, and they, they'll tell you about the poster, answer questions, um, um, get some feedback, uh, etc. So the way we set this up was we had a master page with all the posters, which was hosted on Moodle, uh, which had the thumbnail of the poster and title, details of the offer, um, contact details, etc. But those weren't actually static thumbnails. If you click on the timeless, it would take you to the Teams page, which then had the poster in it and the person um, during the allocated time of the symposium, the person who made the poster would be on Teams and would be answering questions, um, etc. And we told all the students to be there between 10 and 12, the same way as they would be for normal poster symposium. Look at all the posters, ask questions, do comments and do assessment. We always ask students to do peer assessment for those sort of uh, types of presentations. And I must say the engagement has been enormous. Um, so we had the two hour session and then we left this open for a whole week. And actually students continued to engaging throughout the week quite strongly. So we had, I think, 35 posters in the symposium and we had well over 1000 different responses. 
So whether it's comments, questions, reactions, uh, etc. on this. So it's incredibly impressive that every poster got quite a large number of responses and there were whole discussions going on uh, on Teams uh, in the chat attached to the poster. So it was really lively. It really felt like a real poster symposium. If we went to the posters, the people were asking questions. It's sort of the same as in real things. Sometimes you were struggling to put your thing in because someone else was discussing something else. And it's like, oh, I've got another question. Can we talk about this? So I think it really had that uh, real energy and real engagement from the students. We encourage students to use the chat window attached to a file on Teams. So every file on Teams has attached chat to it. We were thinking about video interactions. Um, the advantage of using the chat is that the history was there so people could go and see, oh, I had this question. It's been already answered. Um, uh, and you also have seen the engagement with the poster, uh, which I think was really nice. Obviously, we could have done a pop up video chats that people could join and leave. Um, but we would think that students might not be so willing to engage with that. Again, being on camera or, or being with your voice, um, speaking with your voice, some students are not very confident doing that. Uh, but also there wouldn't be that record of what happened before, which I think leaving the poster session open for a week um, was made, meant it was less repetitive for people who were presenting posters. Um, yeah, thanks for that. So perhaps could I ask you about the experience of teaching and learning in particular this term? That's been a big change moving to a, a blended model. Do you have any reflections on that experience as a, as a teacher? I think the experiences are mixed, like probably for most people. So I think some people say this is absolutely not the way forward. We need to go back to face to face touch. And some people say this is the way forward and we need to go online and, and be more uh, modern and technology driven. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm probably slightly in the middle. I definitely disagree with the fact that pre-recording lectures and mainly um, sort of offline um, um, uh, content is the future. It, it definitely isn't. I think it isolates students, it um, demotivates students uh, having to watch and demotivates me as a lecturer. I, I'm not a YouTuber. I didn't want to be a YouTuber. Uh, so pre-recording stuff uh, for me doesn't feel natural. I don't get the feedback from students. I don't, don't get the reaction and I can't adjust my content based on their reaction. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be polling, uh, which which we which I use. But even just looking at the faces, if they're really bored and sleeping, uh, I can adjust what I'm doing or, or just change something. Uh, so I don't like the offline stuff. I think um, live online content, so asynchronous online content, is definitely uh, can be very beneficial for certain things. Um, group work, splitting students into smaller groups, making them work together, that works quite well and can be done probably more effectively than it can be done in a large room when it gets just really loud and, and some students just switch off. If you have 100 students in a room, you split them in the groups of five, you have 20 groups of five, which are all very loud uh, because they're shouting across each other. If you have 20 rooms on Teams, you have five students each, they're working with each other uh, and it works really well. And you can drop in at any point at any of the group, listen to the conversation, see what's in the chat, see what files they're working on. I found that really effective way of running workshops and group work. 
Yeah, that's interesting to hear. And playing devil's advocate, what do you think about? I've heard students saying um, I can't pause the live lecture, but I can pause the video. So what, what would you say to them or what's the answer to that? I think everyone will have a personal preference. So um, some people will be absolutely happy to sit in the room and watch the videos in their own time, work on their own schedules. And that is fine as long as students are organized and disciplined to actually go through the content in the allocated time, engage with it properly and come prepared for the live session, which might be following up from the lectures. With the live lectures, I know the students who are there are there and they're listening, even if they're listening very passively, they're still there. And most students if they're already there, they'll engage with the content, they'll make some notes, something will stay in their mind. So if we go to the workshop uh, next uh, week or the next day, that at least would have heard some of the words and some of the concepts. Whereas with online work, I found that a lot of students say, oh, I haven't done the lectures yet. I'll, I'll need to do it this evening, which then defeats the point of the workshops because I need to spend time catching them up. So I think if all students were very organized and self-disciplined and self-motivated, it would probably work. But we definitely can't count on older students being like that. No, that's that, that's true. And and actually, as, a, as an aside, do you tend to record yours as Echo 360 anyway? So if I was missing, so that 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 might be the answer in that, you know, most students might come to the live event. But if I'm not well, or can't get there. I can I can watch a recording anyway, can I? Yes, yeah, so all the online workshops, um, if they're done in a large group or or any um, face-to-face activities, we record using either the Teams recording or Echo 360. The one thing that we cannot record, things done in smaller groups. Yeah. Uh, and computer workshops, when we actually work with students, on a co- each student works on their own problem on a computer. So that is something that's not really viable to be recorded yes yes now i was also thinking though about say previously in your lecture would you if we are back in a lecture room would you uh, record that under normal circumstances yes yes, i always record my lecture so i suppose that that perhaps answers um that that question so just think about the student experience um have you got anything to say or um anything to report at this stage looking back on this term how are students coping with online learning I think there's two main things, uh, um, again, for me. uh, So some students enjoy the blended approach. So again, they they have more control over the learning. They can uh, watch the lecture, engage with the content in their own terms and their own room um, when they want to uh, prepare, rewatch the lectures, uh, prepare better for the workshops. And some students definitely do that and they come really well prepared for the live sessions. Uh, as I said before, some students are a lot less organized and they're really struggling with the time management. So the feedback we got is split. Some students say they really enjoy uh, being in control. Uh, some students say they really Uh, struggle with organizing themselves. Uh, But the one underlying thing I've noticed throughout my personal duties is they all feel lonely and isolated because whether they organized or not, they're still predominantly sitting in their room alone, watching stuff online, whether it's live or not, or, or, or asynchronous. 
it's still just them in the room and i think this is something that we really need to be aware of and try to make opportunities for students to engage as much as they can throughout those difficult times through either live sessions but also helping them to organize socially and within the department uh, and various other activities that you can help uh, because it's very easy to lose the students who are naturally less uh, keen to engage uh, and they might just be uh, left and struggling in the room without much help. Perhaps one of the benefits of studying chemistry means that you need to do some of that in a laboratory. So do all your students get to perhaps come into the physical space at least once a week or or, or what? Yes. So in chemistry, um, first year, second year, fourth year, so masters of chemistry students and the MSc uh, one year students all come at least once a week for laboratories. Uh, the third year students, uh, because their labs are in the spring, they had other uh, activities that we try to organize live and face to face for them. So they have opportunities to come to campus and see others. We're very lucky that we have variety of activities that we can engage our students quite naturally because chemistry it's just you have to do workshops you have to do group work you have to do lectures you have to do labs it sort of makes it easier to engage students with various different things that's great well thanks for your time so yeah just before we finish have you got any technology tips or anything you've learned technology wise that perhaps you wish you'd known known earlier um i think the the first thing is don't be afraid to try new things i think Initially, when we started doing this, I think I was quite reluctant to, because it was already so new, I was quite reluctant to try things I haven't tried before uh, for it. But I think as we go along, we got more comfortable with trying new things. So, I mean, I learned um, some HTML as a result, which I was avoiding my my uh, whole life before. Um, but because we're doing so much stuff online and preparing so much online content, it sort of was, and, and it's a lot easier than you think it is. Uh, and the same with, well, pre-recording videos and editing uh, uh, videos and editing sound, um, preparing Moodle quizzes, which I knew from very basic point of view, but actually now I've got quizzes that go quite sophisticated because again, we use them a lot more in day-to-day -day practice to engage students and check what they're doing. So I think we have such a great help at Warwick um, with, with academic technology and we shouldn't be afraid to try new things. And the students realize this is quite unprecedented. Um, so if something goes wrong, they're usually quite understanding and they say, yeah, this maybe didn't work, maybe do it differently next time. And that's fine. We are uh, learning. Uh, and the other thing. I think when I started, which I, I assumed and everyone I think else assumed we're just going to make do with what we have. Uh, but actually, as I went along with recording the content and re recording the video, I realized that just getting good equipment makes a huge difference. So buying a decent microphone, uh, buying a decent light for your desk so your face can actually be seen on camera uh, and little things like that, which are not huge purchases for the department or even if you do it on your own pocket, actually make a huge difference to the quality of what you do. I think you I think you're right. Yeah, you, you the the audio is perhaps more important than we realize and that that clear consistent uh, sound is really important. So some good good tips there. Thank you for that. Yes, well thanks for your time. Always interesting to talk and good to talk to you again today. Thanks.
Well, thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening, if you are listening. So, hello. I am here with Kerry Penny. But rather than me introduce you, perhaps you could introduce yourself, Kerry. Say a little bit about your role and your work here at Warwick. Sure. Um, I'm a senior academic technologist. I work in the academic technology team. Uh, The bit that I particularly look after is uh, Moodle, Estream, Mahara, Padlet, uh, those sorts of tools. So there's different bits to academic technology, but that's the bit that I look after in particular. We're a small team, so there's six of us, Paul, Craig, Hannah, Michelle and Shahid and myself. uh, And we are sort of the central support really for Moodle and all the other little bits of academic technologies that we look after. So I suppose anybody listening might have, even if they haven't met you or your team, might well have heard from you because a big part of your work is ServiceNow and the help desk. We'll say a little bit more about that perhaps uh, later. But just uh, thinking generally about uh, this year and this first term, um, it's certainly been a heck of a year. How have things been for you? Definitely. I think uh, everybody's uh, definitely starting to feel the um, the effects of uh, this this year for sure. It's been an interesting year because normally over the summer is when things go quiet. So that's normally when we would do a lot of our sort of maintenance tasks. So upgrading all of our systems, updating all of our guidance, you know, coming up with new training or or doing some starting some new projects. Um, But obviously this year, everything went out the window in March. So so many of the projects and things that we had planned to do this year, we've had to put aside. Um, And as you've uh, alluded to earlier, you know, one of the big parts of our job is answering questions and um, queries via the help desk. And so that has seen a massive uptick as well. But of course, what 2020 has really done is meant that we've needed to really rethink some of the tools that we offer and the way that we um, guide people in using those things and the information that we provide about them. So one of the things we have spent really the, the summer doing is looking at the tools that we have, thinking about how they can be better used Uh, online because everything that we've obviously had up to now has really been focused on in classroom teaching you know on campus teaching with a bit of technology on the side whereas now of course technology is completely at the fore of everything that we're doing so we've spent a lot of time over the summer really just looking at what we have looking at the tools that we have and thinking about how can we help people to use these things uh, in a way that's going to be helpful to them during this extremely stressful and and difficult transition to online. Yeah, thanks for that. And it'd be good to talk about some of the um, specifics from your own work. I know that you've been involved in many projects and lots of things, but do you want to say something about some of the the main projects? Can you remember what you've been involved (laughs) in this year? Some of the some of the big headline projects? Definitely. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's probably quite a long list. So right at the beginning, when when we were first put into lockdown, the team and I had to essentially throw together some some web pages to give people at least a starting point on what technologies we have at the university, as many may not actually have been that au fait with what we have, and also then what they could be used for. So we spent quite a lot of time at the beginning just gathering together all the information that we had uh, into some web pages to help people with that. We've, uh, you and I and our colleague Robert were involved in obviously the Warwick Online Learning Certificate, now WOLF, I think. Um, so that was obviously a really big uh, intensive project right at the beginning of, of lockdown to get that in place for students over the summer. We've also worked on the Teaching for Learning Online course with the Academic Development Centre. So again, we helped them to, to build the Moodle course itself, but also 
we contributed to the section on the um, technologies available at Warwick. We've also had some of the team sort of seconded out as well um, to help different departments who needed help. So, for example, Cal, the Centre for Applied Linguistics, they have a pre-sessional course that runs over the summer, which meant that they needed to get started quite early in preparing and getting all of their materials ready. Um, they'd also coincidentally had a huge uh, increase in the number of students that they took on this year. So it was sort of a everything um, sort of came together at the same time um, that meant that they needed some more help. So one of the team helped out with that to get that ready and, and out. We also helped out Warwick Medical School again. They had some new programs coming on board. Um, I think we had uh, we helped out with covering for some project work as well that was happening there. One of the team helped out the Department of History to rethink their one of their first year modules. And also we've seconded out one of the team a couple of days a week to help the arts faculty who have no academic technology support at all. So we've kind of done a few different bits and bobs where we've been able to work really closely with people, which has, has been really nice. Yeah. We've obviously yeah. as well, you and I have been involved in the learning design consultancy unit. You know, so we've been doing lots of different types of training that we might not normally do. Also working very much more directly with departments on things. Lots yeah. of training guides. Um, we've taken our training the live training into asynchronous training we brought padlet in over the summer and lots of other things so it's it's been a, a very very busy uh, summer for us excellent i don't think anyone listening or anyone who knows the work you and your team are involved in would doubt that uh, this year has been as busy as it could be and uh, generous allocation of time there to help out the other departments although as we know if we can help uh, these teams right at the start then hopefully that that support invested in the beginning can can pay dividends later hopefully you mentioned the ldcu training there can you say anything about which uh, of those workshops proved to be the most popular or perhaps most important Definitely. I think the the one that was most well attended uh, was the creating video session. Uh, the first one I did of that, I think, had about 90 participants in the end, which for our training is, is uh, you know, it's a miracle, really, if you see that many people. Um, and they sort of maintained their popularity, really, uh, across the summer. So I would say that video has probably been the most the most Sort of prevalent topic that we've had to support over the summer which we haven't really had to do before yeah that's interesting actually because clearly there's a good reason for that and it might be obvious that um, tutors of course have had to learn and find out um, how to record their lectures and sessions so that that was popular over the summer and then w w if you had to pick one or two tools uh, and processes that have proved uh, popular since then what, what's been taking up your time I would I mean the majority of things that we you know, we, we, we have the same sort of peaks and troughs every year. So, you know, um, we get lots of questions around annual year rollover of things. You know, as we run into the start of term, we get lots of questions about, you know, where students should be enrolled and, and where people's module spaces are and, you know, things like that. So we kind of the same patterns emerged this year as they always have. But I would say the things people have been most interested in have been video, in particular, what tools they should use to create video. So PowerPoint recording in PowerPoint was really popular, really uh, generated a lot of questions uh, and also uh, what tools they could use to do screen recording. So um, Universal Capture is the tool that we have at the university. So that was something we demoed. But we also got questions around visualizers. So obviously a lot of our um, departments need to be able to 
do live drawing diagrams uh, equations and so on that they would normally do on a visualizer or on a on a whiteboard but of course they don't have that option at home so we did have quite a lot of questions about how could somebody recreate a sort of visualizer at home uh, using the tools that we had available so those were the the main questions that came up yeah. around that um, and obviously teams <laughs> teams has been uh, microsoft teams has been a massive um, part of the summer so again lots of questions around that Definitely. That's been a, a big change uh, for the university and certainly the amount and number of live sessions that have been delivered. Um, so, so thinking about that, do you, do you have a way of quantifying how, how busy you've been compared to previous years? Are you able to compare this year with last year? What's that been like? So using the help desk means that we can, can kind of keep track of how many, you know, sort of con how much contact we've had with people and the kinds of questions that they're asking us. Uh, obviously, Moodle is always our top product. That's always the thing that gets the most uh, amount of questions because it is the more complex tool. It's got a lot more uh, involved with it. Uh, and obviously, people are using it every day. So that still remains our top kind of question um, that we get asked about. But in terms of help desk tickets, I can see um, the peaks and troughs in number of, uh, of tickets that we get. So per week, we sort of have one peak week most years, which is the week before and uh, the week before and the week during term starting that first um, two weeks of term. So last year was about, well, just over 90 tickets per week for the first week of term. Whereas this year, and we sort of average probably at most, maybe 60 tickets is the peak, you know, sort of beyond that, maybe we average about 20 to 30 a week. Um, whereas this year, there is a, a distinct peak <laughs> between July um, to the start of term, which then the start of term goes to over 100 tickets consistently for about two weeks, which is rare for us. We don't usually get that many uh, tickets, um, but I've attached um, and we'll attach these graphs so that people can just have a look and see the peaks and troughs as well. Some of these graphs that we've, we've got. Yeah. Can I ask then, so clearly busy and perhaps for obvious reasons with their move to online and blended. Are you able to drill down and give us a taste of perhaps some of the sorts of queries that you get? Definitely. So um, one of the big questions right at the beginning was around Microsoft Teams and in particular how people would get uh, large groups of students into Microsoft Teams because obviously people want to be able to keep those uh, teams closed just to the groups of students they're teaching. So we had a huge amount of questions around that because our colleagues in uh, learning support systems, they introduced sort of synchronization tool that allowed people to synchronize their Moodle spaces, uh, the enrollments from those Moodle spaces onto a team or multiple teams based on groups and so a lot of the questions we had over the summer was obviously about setting those up the right way to set those up in particular so people had very specific requirements around how they wanted to say group students for example should they use a channel for that or should they have a specific group so we had lots of questions really around uh, what's the best way for me to create the teams that I need to be able to teach in the way that I want to but our colleagues in IT training have been fantastic and they've taken on a lot of the the questions around teams and how to use it effectively because they've just got a encyclopedic knowledge of it the other kind of questions we had over the summer um because of this like huge amount of use of video was around what should they use to record so obviously our recommendations have been powerpoint or uh, 
uh, universal capture, but also what tools they should use to edit. So there's been um, a couple of editing tools that have been approved over the summer for use, some open source ones um, to enable people to do that. We've also then had the question and the big question really was where should I host my videos? Because we've got three essentially places that you could host um, a video at the at the university. You've got Echo 360, which was just our lecture capture tool. But now, of course, we're also using that for hosting video that has been created in other places. We've got uh, Planet eStream and we have Microsoft Stream. And of course, Teams was passing videos to Microsoft Stream. So people were becoming more au fait with um, Microsoft Stream. But the main question that came up around that was accessibility. So obviously over the summer, the um, public sector bodies accessibility regulations came into force, which meant that we needed to provide alternatives to any video or audio content that we you know, um, published onto Moodle or and indeed any of our uh, web platforms. So a lot of it came down to that really. Echo 360 does automated uh, transcription as does Microsoft Stream, whereas eStream didn't. So there was, always a sort of conversation around what's the most easiest workflow for you really do you yeah. want to go to the extra effort of having to fiddle with permissions or you know uploading writing your own transcript and uploading it you know it was kind of really around those sorts of things what's the the best way to do it yeah and, and quite challenging for your team because of the fact that there are options it isn't just here's uh, this tool get on with it so that that can make your work challenging because here at warwick uh, we've got so many different departments doing things uh, differently and perhaps taking different routes through those uh, tools you've just described. Definitely. Yeah. So some some departments are very directive and will say, this is what you're using. This is you know, this is what you're going to do. So some are much more directive, um, whereas others obviously allow people to choose what works best for them, which means that sometimes you can give one piece of advice to one person in the same department, but a completely piece of different advice to somebody else. And it meant really that we couldn't just say, use this one tool, one platform, because it wouldn't always work for everybody. So it does make it more complicated, but it, in some ways it makes it more interesting because you really get to delve into what people are wanting to do. Yeah, and and I suppose by the end of this academic year, we'll also um, all of us have a have a better idea of perhaps which tools are best for um, what jobs. Perhaps Definitely. that's it, and it and it and it constantly evolves. And I know, as you do, even better that it can be challenging to get new pieces of software approved in this uh, time of information security. But you've been instrumental in introducing Padlet to the university. Do you, do you just want to say a little bit about about that tool and how it's been adopted and how how it's going? Absolutely. Padlet was something that we'd been aware of. I think most people who've who've ever been to a conference or you know been to a teaching session probably knows what Padlet is. Um, but if you don't, it's essentially an online wall um, with various types of wall that you can use. But essentially, it's for posting and sharing content. Um, with people in a really flexible way um, and it's one of those things that we knew very well that people were already using so we knew there was a great deal of use already in the university I think when we asked Padlet how many Warwick sort of email addresses were in use it was over sort of 500 you know Warwick email addresses that had signed up to use the free Padlet account and Padlet had also um, reduced the number of of Padlets you could have running at one time as well you know they'd started to to limit the free offer and given the the change in the way that we were teaching and the need for much more flexible options for different types of activities it just seemed like absolutely the right time to 
sort of push it through and get it um, approved. Luckily, it wasn't too costly, so we didn't have to go through um, too many hoops, uh, which is always nice. But obviously, we still had to do all the information security type, uh, you know, um, approval that you have to do. But we got it in. We do, you know, there are some some issues with Padlet. It's not as accessible as, you know, we would like it to be. They are working towards that. Um, but we felt that Padlet was something that people, especially now, could really use. And we've seen over 5,000 people sign up for accounts, that students and staff signing up for accounts for Padlet. So it's definitely proved useful. And there's lots of really interesting uses of Padlet that have um, been going on over the summer. Yeah, that's good to know. And as you say, uh, many uh, folks listening will have seen it or possibly used it. But if somebody is new to that, and in fact, if they want to uh, find out more about any of the tools that you have been talking about, where is a good starting point? Uh, What do you say to people about finding help and getting help at Warwick? What, what, What should someone do if they need some advice? The best place to start if you're not sure who to contact is to just to email the, the help desk, because even if you're not sure which team looks after what tool, it'll get rooted to the right place eventually. And obviously, if you're interested in what we offer at Warwick and what's available at Warwick, do come to the Academic Technology website. We have um, a section on our website that details all of the different tools that are available for people to use. So at minimum, you can at least see the offering that we provide in terms of teaching tools. And obviously, the team in IT services who look after software also have a software list. So if you're looking for anything in particular, you can often find what's been approved and what's already available from those lists. Uh, thanks for that, Kerry. We'll make sure that we put the link to the uh, file you mentioned, perhaps uh, so we can see some of those graphs and that that data. But also we'll put some links to the sources of help that we've um, touched on. Do you think is there anything else that you'd like to uh, mention or any other advice or tips before we finish? It's interesting to reflect on the last year. And the kind of change in questions that we're being asked. So quite often our contact, you know, when people ask us about Moodle is how do I do this or how do I set this up or this isn't working or something like that. Whereas this year it's very much changed to, you know, how can I use it most effectively? So we've had lots of questions that aren't really technical questions, but are actually more around how can I use the tools for, say, building community, for example. So it's been really interesting to see the way that people are thinking about how they can use the technology and the types of questions that we've been receiving have definitely been more complex but they've definitely been more about the use of the tool and how to use it well than you know what buttons should I click for to make it do this Um, so that's been a really nice change and I would say as well that we've probably spoken either in our training or through contact through the help desk or through um, just email and the projects that we've been working on probably spoken to more academic staff this year than I would say that I've ever spoken to in my time at Warwick. So it's been fantastic for us to get to know people more and to get to know the departments more. And I hope that that will, you know, the contacts we've made will remain um, over the next few years and, and people will keep coming and talking to us. Excellent. That that sounds really good and uh, interesting to hear. And also interesting to observe that process whereby staff get the skills and understand how to do things, but then uh, what they do and how they use it uh, starts to mature. So uh, let's hope that uh, that continues. Well, it's been great speaking to you today, Kerry. Thanks ever so much for your time and thanks to you and your team for uh, their support over this challenging period. Thanks again. Thanks, Jim. Lovely to speak to you. 
Okay, well, can you believe it? That's the end of this Bumper LDCU podcast episode 6 and the last one for 2020. I should reward anyone who has made it this far with a technological musing. And did you know that when over 18 million podcasts were analysed, the average length was found to be... 41 minutes 31 seconds and that is usually the standard length of these podcasts but this one has gone on for a whole hour because it's the bumper christmas special i promise to uh, make them more concise next year and if you're left thinking how does jim do it well just remember that historians have marveled over how stonehenge was built and i can't help thinking that future historians will marvel over how this podcast was pulled together using such limited resources although just as with stonehenge it's amazing what you can do with skill ingenuity and of course help from one or two others including excellent contributions from all of the interviewees this year so thanks to them i think together we've proved anything is possible okay that's it thanks for listening 